Several years ago, I read the book, The Circle Maker, by Mark Batterson, and I, I can tell you that I find myself going back to that book again and again. The focus of the book is on prayer, but not necessarily just prayer in general, but more specifically, our, our approach to prayer. Batterson describes in this book that when he moved to Washington, D.C. to plant a new church, he got out a map and he marked out kind of a five-mile perimeter around a section of the city where he was hoping to plant a church there. And he said that every day, that path of that perimeter, he walked every day and prayed. Day by day, prayer by prayer. In the, in the book, tells many stories of some of the things that happen because of the prayers that were prayed for certain people and certain situations in that area. I realize that the idea of prayer walking or circling something in prayer is not necessarily a new idea. But maybe it's not something we often think of doing on a regular basis. You know, I think that there may be an illustration of this in today's gospel reading from John chapter 17. The entirety of John 17 is a prayer. But there's three sections to this prayer, and I want to specifically focus on that last section that we heard read earlier Because this is a section where Jesus is praying for you and me. He's praying for all the people who will come to believe in Jesus. He's praying for all of us. And I think it's fair to say that for over 2,000 years now, our Lord has literally been circling us in prayer in these ways. And I think what he's praying for can be summed up in three ways. One, Jesus is praying that we would experience a spirit of unity among us. Specifically in these words, he prayed that all of them may be one, Father, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. It might be hard for us to consider what unity might look like especially when we talk about the Christian church. Even in the New Testament, we see that followers of Jesus didn't always see eye to eye. Maybe you remember the time that the disciples got into an argument with each other about which one of them was the greatest. And even in their missionary efforts, Paul and Barnabas got into a disagreement which caused them to part company and go their own ways. If you just look around at all the different denominational tribes there are under the umbrella of the Christian church, it would seem challenging to how can there be unity among us? Is it even possible? Well, apparently Jesus believed it is possible because four times, four times in these verses he prayed for the church to have unity. But notice that his prayer for, is for unity, not uniformity. Yes, there will be disagreements. 
Yes, there will be some things we don't always see eye to eye on. There will be some things that we would consider in the church to be non-essentials. There are things that we would consider to be essentials. The church father, St. Augustine, one time said, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, but in all things, charity. I would say that it's the essential things that Jesus is praying that we would have unity in. And I would define those in two ways, a commitment to biblical truth and a confession of who Jesus Christ is. A commitment to biblical truth. We say God's word is our authority. It is our anchor. It is our true north in all things in faith and life. Not trends, not culture, not what is politically correct, but the Word of God is our authority. But so too, Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. He's the Savior, He's our hope, He's our future. The reason that a level of unity is so important here is that Jesus says, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And you know that there's nothing that taints the witness of the Christian church any faster in the eyes of the world than divisions and disagreements in the church. No wonder Jesus continues to circle us today that we would have unity in those things that are essential, a commitment to biblical truth and a confession of who Jesus Christ is. Jesus continues to pray circles around us for those things. But I would say Jesus also continues to pray circles around us that we would experience the glory of God among us. Jesus prayed, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and see my glory, the glory that you have given to me. Well, maybe it's fair to ask the question, what is the glory of God? And I would suggest that maybe one of the ways that we can describe what the glory of God is, is that the glory of God is the wow factor. The glory of God is the wow factor that leads to the woe response. And let me give you an illustration of this. Maybe you remember the words that the prophet Isaiah spoke in Isaiah chapter 6. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were six seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two wings they covered their feet, and with two wings they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe is me. Isaiah said. Here Isaiah was wowed by the glorious presence of God. But he responded, woe is me. Maybe you remember the night that Jesus was born. 
The appearance of the angels filled the night sky, and the shepherds who were watching their flocks, the glory of the Lord shone around them, and the shepherds' response was that they were terrified. Why? Because they were experiencing the wow of God. Here in Jesus' prayer, he prays that we would experience the glory of God among us. If you come to church and in some way you miss the glory of God, you miss something. If you come to church and you say the music was outstanding, which it is, that's good. If you come to church and you say, you know, it's great to see other people that we we know and we have relationship with, that's good. If you come to church and say the preacher was okay, that's all right. But if you come to church and in some way you experience the wow of God, well, that helps orient our perspective in life. And how much we need that in our daily life, don't we? Because you know as well as I do that we come here with our hearts and minds filled with all kinds of things. Maybe on the way to church this morning, you had a fight with your spouse. Maybe you're mad at your kids about something, or maybe more likely your kids are mad at their parents. Or something. Maybe you're worried about an upcoming surgery that's happening or some test results that are about to come back. Maybe you continue to be overwhelmed by the recent death of somebody in your life who's, who's no longer with you. Maybe you're dealing with disappointment over unfulfilled dreams or unanswered prayers. Maybe you're feeling a sense of loneliness and and you just feel sometimes it doesn't seem like anybody cares. The truth is that you and I come to church with any number of feelings and emotions and hurts and heartaches and doubts and worries. We bring them here and it's good that we bring them here. Because no matter what else is going on in life, Jesus is still on the throne. Jesus still answers prayers. He can calm whatever storm there may be going on in your life. He can forgive whatever mess you or I may have made out of something. He offers us a second chance and a new beginning. If we can experience the glory of God, it can help reorient our perspective in life. And that's why I think Jesus is still praying circles around us that we would experience his glory, not only as we gather in worship, but, but other times in our life as well. But I also think Jesus continues to pray circles around us so that we would experience the love of God among us. Jesus prayed, I have made you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them. How does that happen? How can you and I be assured of the love of God in our life? 
In light of the fact that we've been reading through the New Testament, I came across a quote recently that I, I think has application for us here. The author writes, We often view prayer and scripture reading as two distinct spiritual disciplines without much overlap. But the author says, I'm suggesting that the Bible wasn't just meant to be read through. The Bible was also meant to be prayed through. Let me say that last line again. The Bible wasn't just meant to be read through. The Bible was meant to be prayed through. In other words, what the author is suggesting is that you and I not just read the words on the page, but we also pray those words. But how do you go about doing that? Well, one way is you use some of what God's Word actually says as the words of the prayer that you pray. Let me give you an illustration for that. I'm going to jump ahead in our New Testament reading and, and jump to Ephesians chapter 3 where, where Paul prays these words. He says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God and to know the love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. The Apostle Paul is praying in those words that you and I would experience God's love. And the reason it's worth us praying that is that no matter what may be going on in our life, nevertheless, God wants you to know how wide and long and high and deep his love is for you. I heard a statement not too long ago, where the speaker said, yes, we can hurt the Spirit of God by our disobedience, but God's love for you will last forever. That's how long God's love is for you. You want to know how high his love is for you? Look to the cross, and the nails that pierce the feet and the hands of Jesus as he hung there on that cross, never once did he have a a second guess of whether you were worth that or not. Do you want to know how deep the love of Christ is? He descended all the way to the depths of hell to declare victory over the power of sin and death and Satan in your life. But then he returned back to life, and he ascended into heaven, and today he sits at the right hand of the throne of God. That's how deep God's love is for you. Do you ever have times? Do you ever have times in your life where you wondered, does God really love me? After what I've done? After the mess I've made? After the people I've hurt? If you've ever felt that way, then it's probably worth praying circles around the words. I pray that I may grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ for me. Because as you do, it can help you experience God's love that was intended for you in life. I think the prayer of John chapter 17, verses 20 to 26, tells us that Jesus is still circling our lives in prayer. 
that we would experience a spirit of unity among us in our commitment to the authority of God's word and our confession of who Jesus Christ is. I think Jesus is still praying circles around our lives that we would experience the glory of God and that we would never lose the wow factor of who God is. I think Jesus is still praying circles around our lives that we would experience the love of God in our life, that we would know how long and high and deep and wide his love is for you. That's what Jesus is still praying circles around you in his life. And I want to ask you now, what is it that you are praying circles around in your life? Is it healing for some medical issue or physical ailment that you have? Is it repairing a broken relationship of some sort? Is it for new things or new opportunities, new insights in your life? Is it for your spouse? Is it for your family? Whatever it is, circle all of that and more in prayer, knowing that God is circling you in prayer still today until he returns again. Amen.